This is John Steffling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance Podcast 98. It is the first one we are doing with video. So with me from India, Varun Mathur. Hi, Varun. Hello. Hi. In New York, Long Island, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, guys. In Toronto, the greater Toronto area, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Hi guys. And, um, and in Japan, uh, by way of Sweden, uh, Johan Edebo. Good evening. And um, I am in Norway here where we are bracing for a rather significant storm that's coming in with predicted uh, 50 plus kilometer an hour winds which is significant, which is a big storm, um, but it's not here yet. So we haven't done one of these in a while, and there is obviously a great deal to talk about, uh, perhaps starting with, with Gaza and Israel, but it bleeds into everything, and all of these topics uh, overlap, I think. Uh, but one thing that that Varun here, Yuki, all of us have talked about, Johan and I have talked about as well, is, a, is this feeling of cultural collapse. And, and I, I have a very smart readership uh, for my blog, and there have been a number of comments the last few posts from people, uh, really admirably insightful comments. On this idea, on this this feeling of of the the cultural uh, the destruction of the culture and and art and the, the the cancel culture, we'll talk about Michael Fried's show um, that that was canceled by the new director at I guess the Santa Barbara Museum, uh, Amada Cruz, who has a track record of uh, destruction uh in these matters but but it's an interesting it's an interesting case because this michael freed show freed is an excellent critic has been for a long time uh he did this show a long time ago they were remounting it and um it got shut down and people got fired because he used uh in a letter a single sentence uh from 28 years ago, he said it was faggoty decoration. He was referring to these color field painters that he didn't like. Now, you know, I just like to, <laughs> to note that I say far worse things on a weekly basis, maybe on a daily basis, uh, without, you know, without repercussion because nobody cares what I say in these contexts. But but if I had a show and people wanted to dig, I would be canceled in five minutes, in two minutes, uh, forever, probably. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it just, you, it begs the question, and I'm gonna open it to you guys then. It begs the question about what people think art is supposed to be doing, how we feel about it, what the culture expects from it, 
My last blog post, I included an excerpt from Jean Genet's last work, which was Prisoner of Love, that he wrote on the Palestinians. And uh, uh, he had spent a lot of time in, uh, in Lebanon, in refugee camps. And he was one of the first Westerners to, villa, uh, to visit the Shatila camp after the massacre. Uh, and, and he, and he wrote about it and it's a beautiful work. It's a very forgotten work. Nobody mentions this work anymore, <clears throat> um, or his championing of Palestinian causes and, and, and their plight. Uh, he's extraordinarily critical of Israeli colonialism. And uh, it's forgotten. Nobody talks about it. It's a, it's a major work by one of the 20th century's great writers. It's erased from history. Anyway, uh, these, all, these all feel like questions that, that bleed into one another. So I'm, I'm leaving it to you because there's other news as well regarding the Houthis and Ansarullah rather. And... Uh, on and yeah. on. So I leave it to you, Johan. Mm. Sure, but yeah, in, in the spirit of, of aesthetic resistance, maybe we can dwell on, on that topic for, for just a few moments. Because when you, when we talk about cultural collapse and, and that kind of thing, what what do we mean by by the notion of culture? What is culture? And I, I would spontaneously say that culture is the the, the concerted effort, the, the attempt, the reflective attempt to make sense of the world, the attempts at meaning making in some sense. And, and what we get, what, what sort of culture will we get in, in a society where, where, where the myths and the worldviews and the frameworks are collapsing, where things are increasingly impossible to make sense of? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna get a pretty, pretty stymied and, and decapitated form of culture, I would guess. So, so that's, that's probably not very strange. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's it's uh, we can we can talk about different fields, and I'll I I want to get back to talking about theater, say specifically. But Hiroyuki, do you have any? Uh, because you're in the arts, right? It's well, that makes it kind of. You know, it goes both ways. Uh, it, I, I have a lot of things to say, but at the same time, it's really hard for me to say because I'm part of it. You know, I, oh, it, every time I do things uh, uh, publicly, um, it's an element, you know, uh, there are things you can, you can't say because obvious, you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, if there are police officers pointing guns at you and you're supposed to say things, um, there are, you know, less things you can say. And if the, all those cultural institutions are limiting what you can say, I mean, we all know that if we say something about Israel, if we say something about COVID, if we say something about Ukraine, there are consequences in many ways. 
and I would say it anyway, but um, this is not a normal situation in which we can share our opinions um, for the interest of the people, you know? Yeah. So it's um, it's a tough situation um, for all of us, uh, not just because we can't say things, but, you know, it totally compromises the content of what we do. You know, it's like yeah. we're right. forced to double speak all the time. Right. You know? Well, but but here's this. Let me let me introduce this idea. Um, because one of the things that I, and I've heard this from a number of people, it's not an original thought uh, of mine exclusively, but I hear this in, in dialogue with people all the time, that there is this kind of sense of unreality and surreality about political institutions, that it's not just cultural collapse, it's a political crisis of the West. And may be best represented by <clears throat> by EU politicians. Uh, we look at France and we now will talk about the protests, the farmer protests in France, which are gigantic, mammoth. They've shut down Paris. Mm -hmm. And Macron has called in, uh, I guess, the French equivalent of the National Guard in some sense. Uh, and police, and most of them, or at least a lot of them, are sympathetic to the farmers and won't touch them, won't arrest them, won't stop them. Uh, we'll see how long that goes. But, <clears throat> but more to the point is Macron appointed, again, like in Great Britain, without an election, uh, his, his sort of former boy toy, who's 34 years old, Gabriel Attal, has nothing in his CV that would suggest he should be prime minister of one of the major nations of the world. Uh, but he's kind of a cute, he's never left uh, a one tiny small arrondissement of Paris in his whole life, I don't think. Maybe he went, you know, vacationing in Ibiza or something, I don't know. But his world experience is very limited. Then you go to Great Britain, again, first Liz Truss, now Rishi Sunak, Chai Walla, as I like to call him, uh, who was not elected, who has no uh, uh, particular qualifications to be prime minister. Uh, and, and yet there we are again, uh, it's not the mandate of the people. It's a completely corrupt Tory party that just keeps recycling um, these insiders and they're roundly hated and there's protests across England for all kinds of things. There's protests across Europe for all kinds of things, but especially obviously the farmer protests are reaching um, a level of that's unprecedented. So it, it, I, I can't shake when I and, and then you have and then you have the Houthi Ansarullah sort of stalemating the United States in uh, the Red Sea. Shipping is shut down uh, it, for British and U.S. ships. Anything bringing aid to Israel is being um, uh, severely 
limited, if not just outright shut down, nothing reaches them unless they go around, you know, an extremely long circuitous route. So what, what, where does that lead to? And then there were deaths of three soldiers on a military base that the U.S. claims was not in Syria, but that everybody else says, yes, it was in Syria illegally. We're not supposed to have bases there, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody wants to talk about the fact the U.S. illegally occupies a big chunk of Syria and on and on. All of these factors are it's like surreal somehow. None of it, none of it. Nobody is telling the truth. The government lies through its teeth constantly. We see Israel lie. If their lips are moving, they're lying. And uh, and we have more video of, of assassinations of Palestinians by IDF soldiers. Um, I don't know. I could just go on and on and on and on with all of these, you know, events, yeah. incidents, stories. But it's all part of this sense that I have of Western cultural and political crisis, collapse, whatever you want to call it. So now I turn it over to somebody. Johan. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to, yeah, I'll just say a few words and then maybe maybe someone else can, can, can join in. But with regard to the French protests, I, you, you, I think you're right that there's a, there's a huge popular support behind them across... Uh, across nominal class lines you have the, the middle class and the working class sort of supporting these uh, these uh, protests and in terms of, of immediate causes i think we can blame neoliberal policies and and uh, increased uh, you know imports of of uh, of uh, foodstuffs from from uh, cheap low salary countries but but also the imports of wheat from ukraine has apparently made a huge difference for for not not least poland and romania which are also joining in the protests I, i'm not sure you mentioned that when i dropped out but then they're popping up in italy as well and apparently spain and and uh, portugal are are having similar kinds of protests so but there is uh, there's this kind of isolationist sentiment among the the growing populist movements which i hesitate to call radical right but many of them in some sense are and and was this kind of the case when you had the farmer protests in india like two years ago Varun? Uh, like same causes same situation or differences so i think um the difference is that and this is something that i'm trying to connect with is that can't hear you can you hear me now yes okay no i think um in india's case there is a very strong desire for the neoliberal life so the preservation of farming is not the primary thing it's the preservation of a lifestyle which was ultimately the undoing of the farmers protest in india essentially because one of the corporations offered them massive loans and a week later the protests were disbanded right so and these are things that don't get reported much about at all right right but and on a larger narrative arc if you want to call it that i think there is also i mean in terms of the cultural collapse idea that 
the groundedness of geographical culture and belief systems internally has been compromised in such a way where it is now ruled by excess and abundance, which is only provided for by neoliberal capitalism. So the disconnect of the individual from the earth and from its um, limited geographical cultural identity has broken completely. And I think that is the disorientation that is happening. I, I went to a few art openings last night. This is also interesting for me to notice. Maybe you guys can comment a little bit about this because there was one old uh, artist which was a retrospective called Nandlal Bose, and that was very much about viewing the world, right? And there were these small postcards about uh, men, just simple sketches about men cutting wood or women carrying their babies and carrying water or firewood back home, you know, very simple sketches like this, just observing the world. The next exhibition I went to, which was contemporary, was about transgender ideology and about, um, um, what was it, about imperialism, but I mean, there was such a massive text on the wall which had nothing to do with the pieces of art. And it was more like this kind of soliloquy of the artist trying to make sense of the world, right? It was not connected to the world in any way. It was just insular kind of, this is how I am making sense of the world now. But you're alone. You want other, you're, you want to absorb the audience into this idea, which is limited to you, your self-identity. So in that sense, the, the rise of this kind of false individuation in modern industrial civilization has led to the collapse of connection, which is this kind of completely imperialized and completely capitalized upon relationship with of the self and society, of the self and the other, right? So the degradation of that is now kind of being mediated with globalism and with hyperindulgence and hyperconsumption and all of that stuff is now kind of surrounding the individual, which is supposed, which is, I think, hypernormalized. It's not just normalized, it's hypernormalized. So the disconnect yeah. from the grounded reality of living, of farming, of eating, of protection, and all of that has disappeared. Now you have this kind of really huge, hyper-real environment that everybody's trying to negotiate somehow. Yeah. Um, Corey, you have? Well, uh, right before we started, before Hiroyuki called and dragged me out of bed this morning, um, we, we, I was mentioning just how I see, it just seems like I'm not alone in how I feel, um, exactly how you just described Varun, um, you articulated, I guess, how everyone's feeling. And I used to think it's just me feeling this way. Um, you know, basically whatever, when they were saying no one will go back to normal and it will be a new normal, nothing will be the same. And I just sort of thought in my head, um, you know, it's a lot of bullshit, but it feels like that has happened and, and people are grasping to touch elements of reality and finding nothing there. And it's um, unnerving and um, yeah, trying to find a footing on some ground and there's no ground there. And it feels like less and less each day, there's anything real there to grab on, hold on to. And so, yeah, I, I think you really articulated it well, Vroom. I don't know. There's so much suffering and misery now that's a daily, just, you know, blending into normal things to see. 
um, where I am, they're tearing down houses, 100-year-old houses to do rapid transit. And then in the same frame, you can see on the river, tents, tent city all up the river, people actually living in there. Uh, you know, a week ago, it was almost minus 20. Um, yeah. And then they're tearing down houses, right? Insane. Or then I'll go see my dad in the hospital and there's basically fast food in there and you're in a hospital where people need to heal their bodies and they're given corporate industrial shit to eat. And so everywhere you look, <laughs> nothing makes sense, yeah. right? And then people are lonely. So you go online to, um, for instance, when I'm not online, I do miss my relationships, like what I have with you. And then, so I get off so I can have real, real life. And then there's no one there, right? Because more and more people are just um, withdrawing, it seems to me. Um, <clears throat> but I think absolutely people, I'm sorry, no, but I, I hear this all the time. And you read statistics all the time about clinical depression and people's feeling of, um, of uh, loneliness and alienation and lack of purpose, young people feeling there's no future, et cetera, et cetera. We see increases in self-harm. We see more and more people medicated with antidepressants and, and uh, mood elevators and psychotropics of one kind or another. This just keeps going up. Um, and and but I think that and then I go to Varun. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, I think the Gaza genocide has been a has been a tipping point in some way. It it's the first time. I mean, it's been a number of years since Israel made a significant uh, assault against Palestinians in Gaza. Uh, or anywhere really to this extent. And this is suddenly the TikTok Instagram war. It, the IDF compulsively churns out these offensive, morally bankrupt videos, sadistic, cruel, strangely inhuman videos making fun of dead babies and dead mothers and suffering Palestinians. Who does that? What kind of what kind of society and culture does that? We've not ever seen, we the world have never seen this before mm. in real time. And and everybody can see that the 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 leadership in Tel Aviv lie about everything. They lie about everything constantly. I mean, you just have to keep repeating that. Every single thing they say is a lie. There's no evidence of atrocities on October 7th, for example. Yes, they intentionally bombed a hospital. Yes, they intentionally bombed a nursery school. Yes, they intentionally bombed a mosque. Yes, all of those things are proven. Voices like Mads Gilbert, the, the Norwegian doctor who has worked in Gaza, reports on this all the time. People like Miko Pellet report on it all the time. Elon Pape, all of these uh, dissident Israelis talk about Zionism is toxic 
and has to end. That's never happened before. Parallel with that is the United States and, and the sort of influencer cadre that, that Israel has manufactured that gets media time on legacy media, a disproportionate, wildly disproportionate amount of time. And they lie and they invent stories. And so you so that's that's my first point. The second point is, and then I'm turning it over to you guys. Uh, there was the anniversary of the liberation of the death camps of Auschwitz the other day, which we know was, I think, the first infantry division of the Red Army that got there first and liberated the camps. Everybody knows this. There was an interesting poll. In 1945, they polled everybody in Great Britain and the United States asking who contributed most to the liberation of the camps. And over 50% said the Soviet Union, the Red Army. Today, they did the same poll and over 60%, I think, said the United States liberated the camps. And the Soviet Union was down around 20%. That, that speaks directly to what propaganda does, right? And that's what we're looking at a half century of Western anti-communist propaganda. And, and again, I see constantly on social media, constantly, the conflation of fascism and communism and people talking about, no, we protest. The French farmers are protesting against their horrible communist government in Paris. And you just want to pull your hair out. You know, I, I, you, what, it, it, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I turn it over to someone else. I don't know. You have the axis of resistance. I mean, I've been really traumatized by what's happening in Palestine more than anything else in my lifetime. And I'm not sure why, but it's like the accumulation of all of it since, you know, since the day I was born and so much of it in the first, um, you know, a couple of decades of my life where I was oblivious to all of this stuff that's happening now, now it's still happening. And, you know, just that feeling that it will never stop under this global um, capitalist, neoliberal um, economic system that we have. I feel really helpless, you know. Oh, I wear my hat. I go to a protest, you know, every other weekend. You know, I wear my um, colors. I read. Uh, but it, ultimately, I feel completely irrelevant and useless and it makes me feel horrible I, I feel horrible about it um how I can't stop anything and I've tried in so many ways throughout my lifetime um you know city committees um business um activism sit-ins I've tried so many ways and right now I just feel like I have nothing left to offer and it's it's a great big huge machine that we can't stop it's really really depressing I mean what we see now that's that's how I feel um and plus what you said John we have TikTok <laughs> wars but in real life no one says a word about it where I am like literally no one talks about it and if I talk about it they people literally say nothing they 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 say nothing in response nothing right and then you just go on and change the subject it's like taboo to talk politics 
or anything to do with what our countries are involved with politically, um, militarily. And, and I just find that so defeating, so defeating. Well, <sighs> a number of people have said what you just, I mean, Deborah Mate said this, speaking of Gaza, and this was in the early days, he said, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life and has made me feel the worst of anything I've seen in my life. And I think everybody feels a little bit of, of that. You can't, God knows you cannot, you cannot be a parent and see the bodies of dead children strewn around and not and not be traumatized. I, you know, my son in LA, my eldest son, who I have four grandkids with, said he gets up in the middle of the night now and goes in and hugs the kids while they're sleeping because he just wakes up in this cold sweat of of horror when it it wakes him up. I think everybody feels a little of that. I I can't. I see certain faces appear. Ben Gavir or you know Ben Shapiro or any of these people I can't I turn it off I can't look at them I can't look at them it's because I all I all I feel is such hatred and and disgust and there's I have nothing to, I don't know what to do with that okay uh Hiroyuki or Johan you guys got your hands up I go ahead Hiroyuki well I was going to uh um uh... What was it? What was it gonna say? Uh, <laughs> um, so um, I think it's 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 really um, uh, the assumptions are really um, have been manipulated, and uh, it's it's really hard to talk about things. Uh, the on the one hand, we have the situation uh, in Gaza, and uh, a lot of people are having access to facts and um, um, they're concerned and uh, they would uh, take action sometimes and uh, we would meet those people and uh, but it's kind of hard to you know get to the essence of how it works because it, you know um we have different expectations we have different perception reality um you know it's it's really hard to uh you can talk about gaza but it might not be easy to talk about ukraine uh or even COVID. you know it's probably impossible to to really um be honest about uh how you feel about what happened you know i mean we we would see it as pharmaceutical genocide we would see it as part of the uh, um former industrial you know tyranny but um um is it is that true for the people who are concerned about gaza you know when we stand together uh we you know Wrap our yeah. signs and um, um, uh, talk about it on public, and you, you know, it 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 is the problem is deep. You know, we we have this uh, sense of unreality is coming from the fact that the uh, uh, social institutions are all 
uh, working for the big money. You know, we we are propagandized politically. We are propagandized economically. We're propagandized culturally. We are entertained in a way we're going to fit in the imperial framework. So it's, you know, whatever we do, uh, we stand on streets, talk about these things. Um, are we doing it in the framework of acceptable politics? Right. right. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really difficult. Um, you know, you, you don't want to like, you know, confront those people and, you know, start talking about these things and totally alienate people and, uh, you know, uh, break up the group. You know, you can't do that. But at the same time, you have mixed feeling about it. You have concerns about it. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do. And this is a really interesting topic <clears throat> to Johan and, and Varun both. But remind me, because I want to say something specifically about what you just said, because I think it's, this is an interesting, there's two things going on here, but um, mm -hmm. uh, Varun and then Johan or vice versa? No, I'll, I'll go ahead. So yeah, I, but what, what you said earlier, Varun, I, I think kind of hits the nail on, on the head a little bit. You spoke of his, his artist and his um, story of it. Uh, un, unfulfilling, unsatisfied search for meaning in his, in his art. And if we just take a step back, uh, I, I would say that, that culture has this purpose of, of, of meaning making to provide. It, it's if, if we say like meaning making, generally speaking, I, I would call that a, a sort of relational activity that connects you and me to the world in, in a sense that gives us direction and purpose and also emphasizes and reproduces these, these uh, fundamental values. And, and in the absence of a framework that allows this, you're gonna have a, a reaction of some kind. I think you will see these isolationist and protectionist uh, sort of political efforts gain ascendancy in, in such uh, a context. And, and in the background, we also have this significant loss of trust in our institutions post the, the COVID event, you know, in light of the vaccine effects and, and these massive and complex lives that we all know were foisted upon people. We have Ukraine, we have the Israeli genocide, we have the, the Nord Stream sabotage that was perpetrated by the West and so on. So, so in the background here, there, there's a collapse of institutional legitimacy that, that sort of proceeds from the cultural level beneath the surface. And in this context, when you say that Gaza has been a tipping point in all of this, John, I, I think that's fascinating because in, in some sense, and many many of you seem to, to agree with this sentiment that, that Gaza has been a tipping point in disrupting the existential anchoring for the, for the mainstream. I mean, we can talk about this as a, as a kind of rupture in the fundamental mythology and, and the foundational worldview structure. And that sort of thing is what precedes these huge tectonic political transformations. And I, I don't doubt that the farmer protests are an early manifestation of, of something something big, some sort of fundamental change in, in society. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, okay, two, and, and then Varun, but let me, I just wanna add quickly, what Hiroyuki said, um, uh, 
you know, it's hard to get everybody on the same page about everything. And, and this speaks to this problem. One symptom of this problem is the conflation of fascism and communism, that people are so politically immature that, that they can't construct coherent narratives, especially historical narratives, that, that would make sense of where we are today. Um, you know, I hear a lot, for example, people will say, well, but the, the problem is crony capitalism, you know, and you want to, you want to say all capitalism is crony capitalism. The problem is capitalism, you know, there's no good capitalism where you're going to solve all these things. It doesn't foster, you know, uh, generosity and altruism. It's not a system that does that. Um, and then there are people that you find yourself, I find this all the time, I'm aligned with certain people, maybe on social media, there'll be dialogue, long discussions, and they are very far right wing. And I don't agree with them about nearly anything else, uh, except maybe that, yes, we should support the farmers, for example. Uh, or, you know, there are leading voices on the sort of erstwhile left, people like Chris Hedges, who is an anti-communist, or Patrick Henningsen, who they both take very, you know, supportable positions on Gaza and Israel. Absolutely. And I, you know, full, full props to both of them for that. But they are anti-communists and they're badly educated, both of them. And I don't trust Hedges at all, who I think is a spook, frankly. I don't, I, I don't, I can't come to a, a coherent position if I'm, because I don't, ideologically, I'm opposed to those people, you know, that they stand for everything I have spent 50 years fighting against. Um, and this, of course, bleeds into anything to do with culture and the arts, because it's a society in the West of Philistinism. And we could talk about academia, too, which is beholden to the military industrial complex and corporations and NGOs and all the rest of it. The pursuit of knowledge and thought has all but disappeared, really. It's not about that anymore. I we talked asked earlier, you know, 45 minutes ago, ask what's the role of art today? I don't know anymore. So I just wanted to underscore those points because this is, this is what one is up against. You know, I, it, 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 this is why you feel so alone and isolated often because it's hard to talk to people who are so fully indoctrinated even if they remain human enough to understand the horror of Gaza and, and respond correctly and, and as human beings, and, and I love them for that, but they're wrong about everything else. It becomes, it, this becomes very complicated. Um, Varun? I'm just gonna throw this in here. I mean, from the mid eighties, when the globalism and the globalist movement was taking off, up till now, like today, I think we're seeing symptoms, like the conversation that we are having are symptoms of a globalized world, which is largely running on digital interfaces. 
So there's a choice, there's an exhaustion of choice with people, I think, in general. And the lack of geographically accessible life has been overcompensated with, with this neoliberal idea that everything is available all the time online. You know? And whether you have the financial capability of fulfilling that desire or not, it feels like it's everything is available. And that, I think, creates a kind of an erosion in the feeling of goodness in community, yeah. in local community, right? Like with each other. So there's this kind of dissipation and this kind of differing of, of ideology where you can find, like we are a group of five people who are in different continents right now for all practical purposes, right? It can do good things, but I think for larger populations, it has been very detrimental because there is a choice exhaustion. So there is a lack of thinking. And if you combine that with how much inflation we are seeing financially. So all everything is very flashy. It's online. It's all on the screen. And people can just keep scrolling for hours and hours through ads of social media. But it is a world that will never realize in their life, right? For most parts. So there is this, I think, a very deep disconnect now where we are living in the hyper-globalized digital world. We are not, as a population, as a human population, anymore living within our communities. So it's easy, like, and I mean, I think the examples that you took, John, of Annie Hiroyuki, of that you can- Sorry. You can talk to people about Gaza, but you can't talk to people about COVID, you know, like, and that's, if there was an actual connection of people within their communities, if there was a caretaking, if there was a, a sense of reality that they still had within themselves, then those conversations would be easier to have. Then there was not any necessity to prove with facts that COVID was in fact a slow-moving genocide of the planet, right? right? right. Gaza is a fast-moving genocide, which is very visible, and the propaganda is in your face, but the COVID genocide was not. It was very, very well hidden and veiled and in lots of propaganda, which people could not see through, I think. Um, it is interesting that, uh, uh, you know, we've been doing these podcasts this is the first one with the video but for however a couple of years now and we began during uh the early stages of of the pandemic and mm. the lockdowns came and we were we we contributed a lot of um a lot of airtime to analyzing that different people appeared on the podcast different guests uh <clears throat> And now, you know, a couple of years later, there's been so much information, so much revealed about the lies and dishonesty, about the covering up of, of, of health damage that, that came from the vaccines, that the, all the policies were counterproductive, masks didn't work, et cetera, et cetera. Anthony Fauci was a, a habitual liar and on and on. Uh, and and so there's been so much of it, this tidal swell of, of information that you tend to forget that there's still a significant 
number of people out there who believe the original lie. And sometimes when I come across them, I'm kind of like, wait, didn't you pay attention in the last two years of all the stuff that has come out about these? Um, and, and so this is, this is one aspect of, of this contemporary conundrum, uh, psychological uh, dissonance that one faces all the time. Uh, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't, I often, I don't know what to say to people anymore. I feel like I've said everything about that topic and they probably weren't listening. So I don't know where to go anymore. Um, but I feel like it always comes back around to culture and art and that, uh, and you, what you said, Varun, that, that people have stopped having a connection to the community uh, in, in, or just very limited, tenuous connection to their communities uh, because, because government policy is largely uh, there to discourage community from forming. And, and growing so you know and then you think about the homeless situation that Corey mentioned drug addiction the you know the use of antidepressants the overprescription of all of these things um, the lack of access to health care in the United States for example these things never get talked about in media these things you know the CNN and MSNBC nobody's talking about uh, the 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 death from drug overdose, the deaths from exposure, the suffering of people on the streets in the middle of winter, it does not get talked about. There hasn't been a presidential debate for either party in the U.S. in which a single word was mentioned about any of this. Not a word. They talk about how great the economy is. Make one quick observation, Johan. Can't hear you. There is such a high level of desensitization that it takes people looking at dead people on Instagram before they start actually banding together yeah. or something. So you know the subtlety of connection and the subtlety of caring for the world has been destroyed completely mm -hmm. in industrial civilization. Yeah. Well, there's there's been the death of curiosity in the young, I think. Oh, That's something yeah. I see all yeah. the time. Is that I remember when I, you know, this was the 60s, of course. I graduated high school in 69, summer of love. Uh, I remember we were curious about everything. People read all the time. We we not only went to protests, anti-war protests, but we had books and we argued about them and we debated about them. Then we'd have sex in between and then we'd argue about the books some more. Nobody does any of that. They don't fuck anymore and they don't read anymore. And that's probably the epitaph for Western civilization, actually. I don't know. Somebody else. Corey. Well, it's frustrating because, um, I mean, especially Canada, we have so much, we have so many natural resources and therefore we have so much wealth and that wealth could be distributed 
right? Through um, a different kind of economic system that you're not allowed to speak of because people will jump to the defense of capitalism, but there's no reason for um, people to have to wait a year or two for an MRI to find out they have cancer, which by that stage is too late. There's no reason for anyone to be on the street. There's no reason for anyone to pay for education. There's no reason for this massive, massive drowning in debt. Um, Canada, I think, has the highest household debt in the world. Um, so we're literally living on debt. And if people didn't have access to that debt, they would have to revolt because they would not be able to feed or clothe their children. Um, but that's the way it is. And people, you know, feel that's their only thing they can do is to go acquire more debt to live. And now we're sort of at a tipping point where people are completely maxed out. Um, interest rates have gone from two and a quarter up to around nine now. Um, people bought homes when you know, there was this huge um, housing increase. So now these massive mortgages have increased interest rates. Um, BlackRock and Vanguard plan to own 40% of houses by 2030. So you again, keep seeing that shift of wealth to the top. And again, like we, we, it doesn't have to be this way, but for it not to be this way, we have to be talking about these things. And these things have all been made taboo to speak of even the capitalist system, it's like Stockholm syndrome, right? Like defending your oppressor. And it's really, really frustrating because these are conversations I want to talk about. This is what I'm interested. All of this stuff is what makes me feel alive. And this to me is what life is about. And there's no one left to talk to, to the, you know, to the, about these things too. And again, just that isolation, feeling further and further isolated. And, um, I mean, it is happening, that whole transition that no one will own anything, which I don't really care if we all share everything, but it's not like no one's going to own everything. The rich will own everything. And it's already becoming that very, very quickly. Um, yeah, now and now here we have people, no one can even afford basic the basic rent now. Like everything's become out of reach, out of reach. And I don't know where this goes. And on top of it, like we've already discussed, you have all these horrible, horrible things happening. And so um, it's just almost like massive PTSD throughout the whole population, you know? Um, right. Yeah, I, I, I well, don't know. People, people are working. I mean, it's a fact that people work longer hours for less pay. Um, the idea that, that uh, a family in which both adults don't have jobs, that's unthinkable now. I don't know a single family in which the mother and father don't both work. I don't know any. Um, that somehow they have to have two incomes coming in just to get by, just to pay from month to month their rent and food and keep their children um, clothed and... and uh, so, so that's a fact. It's and the work is worse. There's less job security. It's more stressful. It's psychologically uh, more damaging and alienating. These are all facts, and it's it. We've watched it over thirty years now um, accelerate, and then I guess under Obama we saw that transference of wealth, um, wealth uh, uh, all but completed. That that. It, it, the, those that one percent does already pretty much own everything in the world. Uh, 
which raises a whole set of philosophical questions about about what ownership means, um, which, you know, that would be an interesting round table at a certain point. But um, yeah, I, 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 I think that my, the single most overriding, the single quality that I experience in, in dialogue with people I don't perhaps know very well or strangers or acquaintances is uh, the psychological, the, the guardedness, the defended psychological mind that you run into with these people. And it's manifested with white men more than anybody else. Overwhelmingly, it is that snarky white male defensiveness. And uh, it is it's everywhere. It, you know, if you're on social media in any context at all, you you hear it. It's just everywhere. It's just everywhere, and and you start to worry. You are becoming that as well. It's a nightmare. Okay, Johan. Right. Yeah. What what was I going to say? So you you uh, talk about how it's difficult to build consensus among the dissidents uh, and there's also a sort of a framework of, of knowledge and information that's impenetrable uh, among the mainstream so so most still believe most of the lies or something like that but what would you say Varun, what you reflect on is this ennui this, this burnout this, this disconnect i think it's now it's beginning to manifest politically in a way that hasn't been the case before yeah. And if if we can talk about this in terms of a sort of a, a seismic shift, a tectonic shift, the collapse of the the framework of mythology and worldview, then there is huge potential to build some sort of new consensus uh, on top of those ruins. And I think that's that's where we need to look. That's the kind of thing we need to be talking about. But I also wanted to to bring. <laughs> The, the climate debate into frame again, all in relation to the, the trucker protests, not least, because I, I suspect that that's uh, an important part of the, the, the ire that, that people are feeling, because the, a lot of these issues they're facing are related to subsidies being modified to, to preserve, uh, to, to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions and all that kind of thing. So I was just curious, Corey, if you, if you managed to read that uh, article I sent you translated from the Swedish newspaper. If you didn't, I'll just... No, it, I didn't. It was, no, it was surprising because it was a scathing criticism of the, the first company that began selling these uh, these emissions rights. What, what's, the, what's the word? Assets, credits, carbon credits. Yeah, carbon credit, kind of that, that kind of stuff. And, and it's the first time you've seen something like that in, in, in mainstream Swedish media. I think it, it was very, very, very critical, very skeptical of, of these. Uh, yeah, so so I'll, I'll just leave you there. Well, and I did see, didn't um, Norway just open the ocean to deep sea mining, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. I was thinking how it was five years since I wrote about um, the climate group and World Economic Forum and Greta, the brand Greta. And just what's happened in those five years and just how dire everything is now and how we dealt with actually none of the real issues 
right? With especially war as the leading um, cause of, you know, global warming, environmental yeah. degradation, <laughs> and it just rages on and still not discussed. And um, yeah, all that did was give, you know, the nod, the acquiescence to yes, save us from climate and unlock the treasuries and have all the money, you know, yeah. take the rest from take the rest from the population. Um, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty bad. Um no, the it's interesting that that was a story here. I mean, it, it didn't pass without comment, the deep sea mining um off the coast here in Norway. Um, and it's an absolute Ponzi scheme in addition to everything else. It's a pyramid scheme. Um, the companies that were awarded this, Paul Steigen has a whole series on it. You can go to his page and, and Google translate it. Um, but but it's it's has absolutely nothing to do with climate or green anything. It's just <laughs> an, an emerging market that... Um, a few insider companies that are really kind of shell companies uh, got the contracts for, and uh, they all have connections to leading politicians here. And uh, there's another thing worth noting about the political class here, and it certainly, I saw it with Sweden and then Great Britain um, talking about we need a military draft because there's going to be World War III with Russia. Yeah. What the fuck? Who, what? And anybody believes this? And you have any evidence to support this claim that World War Three is coming because Russia is invading Sweden next week, <laughs> or the Netherlands, or Norway? I mean, it's this. This is another example of this. This unreality and 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 hallucinatory quality. Uh, in Western leadership, these people who say the, you know, this defense minister, whatever he is in Sweden, um, is is just a cretin. How did he get in this position? You know, but then you look at the United States, Joe Biden. We're going to have a an election between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. You know, <laughs> ponder that grasshopper. Um, because it defies it can it defies conventional analysis. I don't know what to say. Two guys who are one full on senile and one right at the edge, you know, stepping over the line into senility now. Two rich, fucked up senile white men, you know, who want war and death and um, lie through their teeth. That's that's what. That's what American democracy has arrived at. Um, but, you know, there never was any democracy. So, so yeah. you know, this goes back to this anti-communism that we talk about all the time on these podcasts. But, you know, and I had a conversation the other day with somebody uh, repeated the same argument we have used before. If communism is so bad, why do you hate it so much? Why do you spend so much money and energy fighting it and destroying incipient movements that um, are socialist in any way? If it's so bad, it will just burn out and self-destruct, right? Okay, somebody else. 
<laughs> Can't hear you. <laughs> I think the system is also kind of now autonomous and mm -hmm. automated almost like the narrative is almost automated. So all these people in power, whether wherever they are, they're just pandering to this kind of autonomous automated narrative. And if you don't fit into that in society, you are pushed out. You can't survive anymore. If you're I'm going to make a prediction. At, yeah. Apropos of that, here's my prediction. I'm the first kid on the block to say this. By the next presidential election, after this one, there will be an AI candidate. Yeah, I bet. And I people, bet. Will be, people will be kind of okay with it, probably. Yeah. Like Max Headroom, you know, for president. You watch. <sighs> okay. Right. Anybody else? Any other topics? Um... No, it's just funny to hear you talk about Russia again and the propaganda. I just feel like I've heard in my mind, like you said, Varun, in the background, it's just perpetual. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Just runs on a loop, right, in the background with yeah. everything else. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. No, I mean, you, you know, it, it's... Um, you look at, I was reading Russell Jacoby's book or skim, going back and re-skimming at the last intellectuals about public intellectuals that generate post-war American generation, Dwight McDonald and Lionel Trilling and all of these people. And, uh, and I thought about when I was a kid, there would be the the beginning of Sunday morning talk shows, news programs. And you had people like Gore Vidal and William Buckley debating. I mean, smart, articulate debaters. And those were serious discussions. James Baldwin arguing with Buckley was wonderful, you know. And now you have Jordan Peterson, right? Now you have Yuval Harari and and Bill Maher and these are not serious people these are not particularly smart or educated people they're not particularly articulate um and and you know they're carefully vetted by the corporations that that own media the six corporations that own all of it and they hold, there are key opinions they have to hold. You know, they're pro-capitalist, they're anti-communist. They're gonna be pro-Zionist, anti-Arab, anti-Muslim. And uh, they are going to believe in some kind of reform of capitalism and, you know, everything else can be on a sort of sliding scale, but, but those things are, are absolute necessities. And, um, and, and in a way, I, I heard some conversation, you know, like a minute of Jordan Peterson, and that's about all I can take of Jordan Peterson is about a minute. Um, and he's, I mean, he's really not smart. He's really, he's, he's really not smart. Um, whatever we mean by smart, he's not it. 
and uh, so so this this is we've talked about like the people's university and and trying to get this going somehow we're going to do lectures i want to do some lectures on aesthetics i know johan has some to do varun probably as well hiroyuki we can all talk about art and culture and the world and i think it's important we do that um because i can't think of anything else that that has as clear uh, a positive, uh, undeniably positive effect as as discussions of that sort. Um, mm -hmm. But but you know it, it it's a tiny little drop in the bucket. That's for sure. Okay, uh, Hiroyuki. Uh, I don't really know if that, this is going to directly relate to what you just said, but um. um <laughs> You know, speaking of uh, anti-communism, um, we we did um, um, witness what um, um, social institution of socialism in the West would do to the people. You know, I mean, it's really hard to talk about ideology in uh, generalist term because you know all those socialist magazines went along with the uh, uh, establishment narrative you know they yeah. told yeah. us that you have to follow the rules and they talked about uh, uh, what, what is that vaccine imperialism you you're gonna have to provide vaccines to those poor nations you know if you don't you're imperialist, you know, this, this kind of logic oh, yeah. was equated to socialism. So, you know, there's something to um, the fact that um, socialism, <laughs> socialism is not really good for us, you know, and um, I mean, how, how do I, put it you know i mean no no but this I is, mean... this is extraordinarily, <laughs> no it's an extraordinarily important point i mean yeah. yeah and also it makes sense that if all the social institutions are dominated by capital political institutions of socialism will be dominated by it too and if yeah. that's the case what do we do hmm. to reach yeah. out to the yeah. people who share our perspectives. Mm. And they are in right-wing camp. They are in, you know, conservative camp. They are in anti-communist camps. And uh, somehow we're gonna have to stand on the same ground based on true history and the facts and talk about these things. And I have no idea how <laughs> Yeah, no, no, how to do that, but you know, we're gonna have to do that. Really yeah. good point. Corey? Mm, I just, I've watched those Gore Vidal Buckley debates and that on YouTube. I found those and watched a lot of them and I was blown away by how amazing they were. And yeah, always think, yeah. how can we, where did this go? Why is it gone? You know, watching even Malcolm X being interviewed by mainstream media right all on youtube and that amazing yeah. stokely carmichael mm -hmm. um but 
I just sort of thought like, if we're not, and then, you know, vaccine imperialism, if we don't, if when I started seeing that for a hundredth of a second, I thought we were finally talking about imperialism. And then I realized <laughs> that it was like double speak, <laughs> but, but we can't provide clean water and sanitation, but if we don't mm -hmm. provide the vaccines then it's about, you know, imperialism. Um, I think yeah. we're politically illiterate. You know, that's what it comes down to. If we're not talking any longer about the main things that matter to society in the world, you know, the, the ecology and capitalism, um, colonialism, imperialism, if those aren't the core of our discussions, we've become completely politically illiterate in a movement that was basically neutered a long time ago, right? Yeah. Or, so, and yeah, and then the question is, how do we get out of this? And the only thing that we can do is try to educate. And then we have the loss of reading. Um, people don't want to read anymore. I just want to do a shout out. Someone sent me this from the UK. I don't know who, but it's amazing. Oh. Um, really, really, really good. So maybe we can put a link up to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been reading it. We'll have a lot of links provided <laughs> to this. And I hope we can do another one. Um, we'll hopefully do these video podcasts every other week would be great. And and I think we'll try to do that and we'll provide all of these links. Um, let's get final thoughts because I hear my children destroying the house uh, <laughs> below and I probably probably need to get down there soon. Um, Johan, final thought? Yeah, sure. There's there's a lot to say, but I, I just needed to, to, to underscore that this belligerent sentiment in Europe is kind of ominous due to the general situation because um, Iran and Russia and, and their associates are now in a position to more or less close off the, the energy flow to the West on, on various choke points. And the situation is also very dire for, for the Ukrainians losing uh, the funding and support from the United States. And at the same time, there's been this huge corruption scandal with lots of military hardware being embezzled. Uh, so what, what's going to happen in this situation if the Ukrainian regime collapses? Uh, and what will the, the response be? Uh, I think it's pretty ominous and I don't like the... I would like to ask you what your predictions are, but yeah, we can, we can leave it at that, I think, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, I, do, I don't know. I I think I was naive about what I thought the end game to Ukraine was going to be. And I think it might be much worse that the United States is going to uh, what passes for a face-saving uh, resolution for them is is maybe not what it is for the rest of us. They're 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 going to double down somehow. And I think Russia knows this and is expecting it that's the only solace i take from this but you know i don't trust china russia even iran uh particularly yeah. because i've seen the 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 sort of slimy backhanded um lack of action against israel and this genocide nobody has done quite what they were supposed to do short of Yemen, poorest huh. Arab country in the world, is the only one that has um, moral authority at this point. So yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know. And that's a topic for next time, I think. Um, yeah. Um, Varun, last thought? Well, I'm just going to repeat what Alpita mentioned last time about the U.S. handing out a $400 billion package for the rebuilding of Ukraine. Mm. Yeah. So that's yeah. something to remember. And to invest. It, mm. it always goes down back to the banks in some way or the other and yeah. kind of appropriating local resource in whatever way possible. It's kind of unbelievable right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, and Corey, any last thought or Hiroyuki? No, just ongoing thoughts. <laughs> no last thoughts. Um, well, I, people should watch those old debates with Vidal and Buckley and Malcolm and and I mean there's a lot of them and uh, just to gauge the level of literacy and how articulate these guys were compared to people today uh, yeah I'm, <laughs> I'm coming I am being summoned so uh, thank you all and and uh, Johan, I will talk afterwards um, about our new Substack uh, site where people can access this, and hopefully we can do this in two weeks again. Um, and I'll, obviously, we'll all be in touch. So thank you. Thanks, thank guys. You. See ya. See you soon. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh